focused on our mission and vision, and it's been a joy for us to do so, at least for me to help us to do that. I hope uh, it has been uh, encouraging and helps us focus on where the Lord is taking us and where we want to go. Uh, we'll be starting a new series in First Peter on September 10th, so in a couple of Sundays, and looking forward to that. Uh, Jacob and I are looking forward to preaching through that book uh, together. Uh, but in light of our new members this morning, and being reminded that we are brought together uh, through Christ, I wanted to preach on uh, our being a family, that we are family. And uh, that's important for us to recognize a part of the work that God does. So I'm going to be preaching from several sections in the book of Ephesians. And you'll see printed on page 6, if you want to follow there, it'll probably be the easiest, uh, because we have some verses in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 4 into 5. And so I, I know this is just a small section and we're just jumping in, but hope to make some connections. So first, Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, and this is the work that, that God does. Uh, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which we, excuse me, he has blessed us in the beloved. And then to chapter 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow city citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And now at the end of chapter 4 into chapter 5, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word in this occasion to be together. We thank you for that which we've already done in this service, giving you praise, recognizing our new members, baptizing uh, some of in our, from our midst. Lord, uh, praying together. And now, as we come to this time and we hear your word, we pray that you would work through it and bless us with it, as you do each and every week and in between when we open our Bibles. For, Lord, your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, remind us and encourage us, equip us and lead us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Jesus said, and stretching out his hands towards the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And this was 
just after, this is Jesus speaking, just after his mother and brothers were trying to reach him. He had been out speaking, and it's one of those things that when I read that passage, this was from the Gospel of Matthew, and I hear that, I was like, was Jesus trying to be offensive? Or, or was it, you know, was he, imagine being the brother of Jesus. It's already hard enough, right? And yet, Je- what Jesus is doing is telling us that in him, there's a new family. And that family is centered on a common characteristic. It causes us to reconsider what it means to be in the family of God. It is not just tied to our heritage, though there is some connection, and we may be blessed with that heritage. But it's really about those who belong to the Lord through Jesus And far from being something that has been a challenge to me, that has more than anything been a great comfort. You've heard parts of my story through the years, and you know that I grew up, or many of you know I grew up in a broken home. And there were times when I did not have good relationships with my father. There were times when I didn't know if I'd see my mother. There were times when I didn't know if I'd see my brother. This concept of family was something that was distant and foreign in a lot of ways in my early teenage years and preteen years especially. Now I have a very good relationship with my family now and I'm grateful for the relationship that I have with each one of them. But as I came into the church, I began to realize that I had a whole family around me, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in the faith, who could lead me, who could encourage me, who would be next to me when things got difficult. And believe me, things did get difficult. And they have been difficult at times, but I've always been comforted by knowing that I have this amazing family in Jesus Christ. And so... It's important for us to remember because we're prone to thinking we're alone in this world. That we have to make it on our own. And so much of this world forces us to move away from one another. To move into individualism or isolation or fear or selfishness or consumerism. And I'll talk about how each one of those impact us in these points. But here's my theme this morning. We are a family by the love of God through the work of Christ for the glory of God. That's who we are here at North Hills. And so I want to talk about three things, our family foundation and our family ties and our family functions and sometimes our family dysfunctions. But first, the foundation. And here's the foundation. You heard it in those couple verses from chapter 1. The foundation of our being a family is the adopting love of God. J.I. Packer says in his well-known book, Knowing God, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. And so as we look at Ephesians there, and uh, we hear this in verse 4, which I didn't read, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, 
in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In love, he did this. It is God's love. And it's for a purpose, in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, it is not that when Paul writes that adoption did not exist. It wasn't a new thing. It existed in the Roman Empire. But here's the difference. When you were uh, in the Roman Empire, when you adopted someone, it was because you needed an heir. You needed something, someone to carry on your lineage. Otherwise, there'd be no place for your heritage, your resources, your inheritance. And so it was almost entirely selfish, in a sense, to adopt someone, even someone who was older, simply so that you could maintain your name and your, your heritage and your lineage. It was all about you. But when we are adopted by God, Think about this. When we become sons and daughters of God, what does God get in return? Does he need us for his heritage? Does he need us to continue his lineage? No, he is complete in and of himself. And so his adopting love is completely selfless, if I can put it that way. It is completely without reference to himself, but completely for us. It is because of his love for us that we are adopted and we are given, Paul says in Romans 8, the spirit of adoption so that we can cry out, Abba, Father, so that we can live in that reality as beloved and blessed children of God. J.I. Packer goes on to say, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. So closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God God the judge is a great thing. We're justified through Christ's work. He says it's a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. And of course, it does require us to receive that gift. It requires us to receive what is given to us through Jesus Christ. So there is a place for faith in this. But it is always God's initiating love that draws us into the family of God. We don't turn in our resumes and say, God, I'd like to apply to be a part of your family. I hear there's a wonderful inheritance. And indeed there is, isn't there? But what would you have to put on your resume that God would go, okay, all right, now we're talking because the the whole lot of the rest of them, boy, but now, right? we, We don't have that. It's all of God's goodness to us. Let us not forget that. That if we are to be a family of God, let us not forget that it is on the basis of God's grace towards us. There's a missionary family in Africa that decided to adopt a little boy who came from a very difficult family. An absent father, an addicted, an abusive mother. And this little boy was shown love, but he had trouble receiving it. Even his obedience was motivated by, by past fears. 
He couldn't find his comb one day, and he borrowed his father's, his adoptive father's. And he forgot to put it back. And his parents gently asked him if he had taken the comb, to which he said, no, I didn't take it. You know what the problem was? The problem was the comb that was in his pocket. His lie was quickly found out, and he reacted the way that he so often did. He ran away, fearing abuse or neglect. He ran to his room, crawled underneath his bed. And the boy's new mother crawled into the darkness with him. She pulled up the bedspread, got under there. She took his face in her hands and got next to him. And said, what you have done did not get you into this family. And what you will do will not get you out of this family. I think about that story all the time. Dr. Chapel was our seminary president and he shared that story at a funeral for a pastor, a friend who had taken his own life. We need to remember that what we have done did not get us into the family of God. Nor what we do will kick us out of it. But we fear being alone. We fear sometimes not having a family. Especially when circumstances change. And our culture is not helping us because what is it telling you all the time? It's telling you that you are the most important thing out there. That what you think and what you feel is of utmost importance. Now, those things matter. But when we elevate the individual over our families, over our culture, over our society, we are working against ourselves. And we are feeling it now. But being a part of the family of God reminds us That we are not alone. And what we do and how we live matters not just for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters around us. So we have this foundation that rests, that we can rest upon. If the foundation was who you are, or what you've done, or what you've not done, that is a shaky foundation you would hardly ever feel secure. You would constantly be putting your hands back of saying, I I don't know if I feel steady on my feet right now. But when the foundation is the rock of Jesus Christ and His work and the Father's love for us, then you can stand. And so that's our foundation. But what about our family ties? What ties us together? We are more connected than ever digitally. Aren't we? And yet, I I could show you chart after chart. The charts will show that increasingly over the last 10, 20, 30 years, we, we feel collectively and individually more and more isolated. We can be, you know, a nanosecond from connecting with someone across the world, which is amazing. And God can use those things. And yet, despite those nanoseconds, we can feel in our quiet, the quiet of our minds and our hearts, we can feel as if there is no one 
connected to us at all. But what ties us together? What connects us together? Well, it is the work of Jesus Christ back in chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then what Paul does is he begins to say, okay then, this reality has an impact on who you are and how you live today and who you're connected to. So back at the beginning of our Mission and Vision series, we looked at the beginning of chapter 2 and as Paul's showing how the work of Christ makes dead sinners rise to new life in Christ. And then the second half of chapter 2, Paul begins to say, okay then, here's what this means. Here's how this shakes out for you, Ephesian church. And because of the work of Christ, there is being created a new family, a new community, a new church, rebels and sinners brought together, religious and irreligious, those who are trying to earn favor and those who could care less, Jew and Gentile. There was no larger division in the ancient world than that of the Jew and the Gentile. Think about the divisions that exist in our world today, and those were just as large at the time. And yet, what Paul says is because of Christ, we're all brought together under the banner of God's love, adopted into his family, and now members of the same family. So chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, I didn't read this earlier, but... Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then listen to what he says in chapter nine or verse 19. Excuse me. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We belong to the household of God. And we have different things that bring us to that. that, uh, There are some things right in this room that we could say we share. And and we find those connections naturally and those are, are important. But we're not all from the same state. We're not all from the same city. We don't all have the same upbringing. We don't all have the same education. We don't all have the same economic standing. There's vast differences. And we know even out in the world there are even more. And yet together, when we come in this room, we're saying we belong. One people under God. And we are a part of his family. And that is what ties us together. And so that language gets intimate there at the end of verse 19. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's an image of the one people of God gathered. And they are members of that household. While before, before Christ and before faith in Christ, they would have had no reason to be together. They might have even looked down upon one another. They might have scoffed at each other. They might have said, who are you and who do you think you are? Instead, we come together and we say, who are we? And who do we think we are? We are God's beloved. And so we gather and 
and, and this is not a, a comment about only children, but do remember in the family of God, there are no only children. Right? The, 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 there's brother, we are, we are a one big family. And there's a great blessing in that family because our distinctions get minimized. And we become sons and daughters in that household. Not servants, not household help, not just simply allowed to come nearby, but brought in and given a seat at the table. And this week I was listening, I'm always listening to music, and a song captured my attention. And it was plaintive, it was raw, it was emotional. And it starts out with, this is the verse, God, I'm way down again, trying to pull myself up, pull myself up. These bootstraps are wearing thin, and I think they might bust. I think they might bust. People say you help those who help themselves, but I am tearing at the seams, fixing stitches in my dreams each night. And then there's this line, I can't make it on my own, help me. And it's good and right to cry out to our God, to acknowledge that we can't make it on our own, and that we do need His help. But as I heard that song, I also realized how frequently I receive help from my brothers and sisters in Christ. So on Wednesday, I was at a a, a group of pastors that I meet with, and we were each sharing different burdens. And after each one shared, we took a time to pray for one another. And so I was feeling anxious because I had to go and have another procedure yes, on Friday that no one looks forward to. And it's very much related to my cancer history. And the, the nurses say, what are you doing here? And the anesthesiologist says, hold on, what's going on with you? And I have to tell the story. And sometimes I get sad. But then I remember God's been faithful. And I don't bear that burden alone. And so while I can say I can't make it on my own, help me, Lord, I see that the answer often is the Lord is bringing friends. And more than friends, brothers and sisters in Christ who uphold me. We are not meant to live in isolation, but to be tied to one another. But our consumerism works against us, doesn't it? Because our our consumerism says, have it your way, right? Have it your way. The customer is always right. But what happens when we bring that mentality into the church? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about what happens in the church and we shouldn't strive to make the church as good a place as it can be. But if, if if we come in and sort of like, have it my way, and I look around and we're like, well, I don't like that song. I mean, what, what, what guy's choosing those songs this week, Jacob? Uh, you chose the songs this week. Okay, so please give your complaints there, right? But we, if we bring that sort of mentality, it can take over. And what does that do? It does damage to the body of Christ. Because it puts the focus elsewhere. Other than Christ and His glory. And it's not just music. It could be any number of things. Finally, our family functions and dysfunctions. In this spring in China, an 11-year-old boy biked 
about 81 miles in under 24 hours using the complicated sign system. He was had gotten into, uh, it was a Hangzhou, um, I don't, I, I'll work on pronunciation, but the reason he was riding his bike all that way is he had gotten into an argument with his mother. And he told his mother during that argument, I am riding my bike to my grandmother's house. Which she didn't believe him. And yet he got on his bike with only bread and water and making some mistakes along the way. And he almost made it to his grandmother's house. You know, we do end up in places where we get into disagreements. And we sometimes are looking for someone with a little more, or what we might think might be a little more compassion for us. And we strike out. But we don't want to do that on our own. Because we do live in a world that is dangerous. And, you know, who knows you best? And thankfully, uh, I don't have anybody in here that can attest to this. But, you know, sometimes I can be a jerk. I admit it. But who knows that best? Lydia often will say, and she'll confirm this, like, people think you're nice when I'm not being so nice, right? Our family will know us best, and that's true in the church too, isn't it? Anybody get hangry? You know that where it's like, yeah, I do. I get hangry. That's that combination of being hungry and angry at the same time, and it's, it's oftentimes not a good thing, and that's why Snickers has a whole... Uh, ad campaign. You're not yourself when you're hungry. Have a Snickers. Let me tell you, Snickers are good. Our family will know us. They'll know those ups and downs. They'll know, yes, that we can be kind and generous, but they'll also know that we can be real jerks sometimes. And the same thing happens in the family of God, but when our identity is rooted in Christ, we need to recognize That we come together in Him, even though we still deal with the real reality of our sin. And so, first family function, I'll do these relatively quickly. You see verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then into verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as as God in Christ forgave you. So family function number one for us is to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving towards one another, especially in light of those times when we've been jerks, or we've said the wrong thing, or we've gotten overheated about something that we care a, a, a lot about, or any number of things. Now that's not to say we shouldn't take sin seriously and hold one another to account. We should. But kindness and compassion and forgiveness is a family function we should desire to have. The second family function is that of the imitation of God. There should be a family resemblance. Verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. As whose beloved children? His beloved children. And the last family function I want to highlight, verse 2, sacrificial love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God. Walk in love. That's as you go about your life, that this is what you should take on. This is what should show up. 
Why? To God's praise. So we'll sacrifice for each other. And one of the things that we've stated in our brochure that we hand out and uh, we talk about our values and our philosophy, one of those is to have an affectionate fellowship here at North Hills. And I hope that's true. I think that's true. But we also have to recognize how sin and selfishness works against us. And we need to show each other grace even while we hold each other accountable and point one another to Jesus Christ. I'll conclude with this. The Westminster Confession of Faith has a whole chapter on adoption. It's not a long chapter, but they thought it was so important that they marked it out on its own chapter. And this is what it says. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth. That's not a word we use very often, but guarantees in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, and provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And as it is so, then we come together, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, brought into this family for his glory and our good. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this time, and we pray that you would bless your word to us. We thank you for the the privilege of being your sons and daughters brought into your precious family, not because of our goodness, but because of yours, Lord, because of your grace and mercy. And so, Lord, may you continue to bind us together in Christ. To your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen.